This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Lacey. And I'm Ashley. And this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Illinois discussing a mysterious death in a small town. Then, we'll talk about a gruesome murder that may have resulted in the wrong man being put behind bars. Buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Prairie State. Thou doth protest too much. Act 3, Scene 2 of Shakespeare's Hamlet indicates that someone is only denying something so persistently because the opposite is actually true. Have you ever been accused of doing something that you didn't do? How did you react? Did you get mad? Yell and swear it wasn't you? Anytime there are accusations thrown around, it can be infuriating. This can cause you your reputation, respect, career, partner, and sometimes your freedom. Being accused of lying or cheating, even stealing, and trying to prove your innocence can sometimes be hard to do. Now imagine you're being accused of murder, but not just any murder, the murder of your spouse. Statistics show that between 1989 and 2018, more than 2,372 people were wrongfully accused of crimes. 151 people in 2018 alone. In 2019, 143 people were exonerated, over half of them convicted of homicide. Three of those were on death row. To date, approximately 150 innocent people have been executed. As of January 2020, the Innocence Project has documented over 375 DNA exonerations in the United States. 21 of those were sentenced to death. I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers out to you. I'm just trying to show you how many times people get it wrong. Snap judgments, mistaken eyewitness identifications, even skeezy jailhouse informants have led to convictions and sometimes executions of innocent people. False and misleading forensic science have screwed them over too. The case I'm gonna tell you about is one of these. One of these where a person is arrested and forced to stand trial for a murder they did not commit. Just another statistic to us, but the difference between freedom and prison to another. This is the story of Curtis and Corey Lovelace. Curtis Lovelace and Corey Diedrichson went to high school together. They had some mutual friends, but the two didn't date. Once he came home from college on a break, and the two ran into each other and hit it off. Corey told all of her friends that he was the one. She also told her mother that she had met the man she was going to marry. Curtis was a football star at the University of Illinois. He was an All-American boy. He joined the National Guard and went on to study law, eventually becoming a prosecutor. But that would come later. Corey and Curtis married in 1991. Corey worked and supported the two while Curtis studied law. They bought a house in Quincy, Illinois, just two houses down from her parents. Before long, Curtis became a prosecutor in the Adams County State's Attorney's Office and was president of the school board and taught part-time at a local 
like community college, he did a like a business law class. He was busy. He was busy. The two went on to have four children, a little girl named Lindsay in 1993, then three little boys. Corey was a stay-at-home mom and loved every minute of it. She did PTA and all the things that stay-at-home moms do. The weekend before Valentine's Day in 2006, Corey wasn't feeling well. She had flu-like symptoms and was vomiting, but she managed to get her kids' Valentine's cards and Aww. Valentine's boxes together because that's what mamas mm-hmm. do. Wow. So that Sunday night, Corey and Lindsay curled up on the couch and watched the Winter Olympics together. Tuesday was Valentine's Day, and Curtis had canceled his morning class to help the kids get up for school because Corey was still feeling like shit. So Corey comes down that morning and sees the kids off, makes sure they have all their Valentine's things for their parties at school and whatnot. Curtis helped his wife back to bed, and he left to take the kids to school. So dad takes the three oldest to school. The youngest one was still asleep. He was like four. So he's gone just long enough to drop him off, and when he gets back, the house is quiet. He figures Corey's went back to sleep, she's Mm -hmm. not feeling good, and Lawson, the the little one, was, no, he just hadn't woken up yet. So he quietly checks his emails in the kitchen before going upstairs to shower and get ready for work. So he peeks in the bedroom to check on Corey, but something didn't look right. She was pale, so he goes over to her, calls her name, shakes her but nothing. So he knows at this point she's dead. So Curtis picks up Larson, their youngest, takes him over to the grandparents' house, which is right down the street. Corey's mom answers the door and he hands over the little boy and mumbles something about people are coming and Corey is dead and then just leaves. So he's just very blunt, Mm -hmm. like, here, take him. Corey's dead. There's people coming. He goes back to his house and calls his boss, not 911, not the police, calls his boss, tells him he's not coming in, that he just found Corey dead. What? Yeah. So his boss calls 911. But, I mean, maybe maybe he was in shock. Yeah. You know, maybe he just wasn't thinking. I don't know. So police get to the house. They head straight upstairs to the bedroom. The coroner was already there, and her body was still warm to the touch, which means she hadn't been dead mm-hmm. that long, like within the last hour or so. Right. There was no sign of a struggle in the bedroom. There's no marks on her body except for a small red mark under her nose. But her arms are positioned strangely, like hovering midair, not by her side. Like, hmm. Like her elbows were, I'm showing Lacey. <laughs> like, like a T-Rex arm. Almost, almost like T-Rex arms. Like her wrists are, she's doing a Zach. Our friend Zach, he <laughs> does his hands like this. Yeah. But she's laying That's flat. Almost like petrified. So in it place. looks like rigor mortis has set in. But with her arms slightly up. That's weird. So she's flat on her back, elbows on the bed. Mm-hmm. And so her arms are sticking up. Okay. Like T Rex arms almost. Yeah. yeah. But flat. Anyways, police notice a styrofoam cup beside the bed and it smells like alcohol. Curtis tells them it's probably vodka and tonic. We, we like to drink and we probably drink too much. Curtis said sometimes this impacted her ability to take care of things at home. And she was also battling bulimia, he says. Oh, gosh. He says that, you know, this has honestly kind of taken a toll on our marriage. Yeah. Which I'm like, stop talking. You're saying too much. Anyways, neighbors would also report 
later on that they had heard shouting from the house from time to time. But maybe she was just screaming at her kids. I mean. They had four. I'm just saying. Well, yeah. They had three boys. I have one and I scream at him like lunatic sometimes. <laughs> That's the only way they listen. Max, is that you? Is that you? Is that a stranger? Is that a stranger? So Curtis is cooperating and answering all the questions. Mm-hmm. So eventually the interview is complete and police leave. So everyone in town at this point has started to wonder what in the world happened to Corey. Yeah. 38-year-old women just do not die in their sleep. I hope not. So pathology takes over and they said that there was some sort of small trauma to her lip and inside her mouth, but nothing major. Hmm. They also noted fatty liver, which is usually caused from drinking Mm -hmm. too much and can cause sudden death. The yeah. ME ruled her death as undetermined, which is very unusual, but it does happen. Yeah. And the case is closed. Corey is cremated. Oh. Per her family's request. Okay. And a month later, Corey's father would pass away from cancer. So this family's really been going through it. So a few months later, six to be exact, Curtis starts dating this woman named Erica, one of his former students. Ugh. Yeah. Don't like that. They bumped into each other at a nightclub. Erica and her daughter eventually move in with Curtis and his four children. Lindsay, the daughter, did not get along with Erica. And eventually she moved out and moved in with her grandparents. Because she's just, you know, she lost her mama. That's a lot of stuff. She's the only daughter. That's her mother. Now you have this other woman and her daughter move in. And she's like, fuck this. I'm going to live with my grandma. So, two years after living together, they get married. But this rebound relationship would not last. And after five years of marriage, Curtis files for divorce. So, at this point, it's 2013. But he wouldn't stay single for very long. He reconnects with his high school homecoming date, Christine, on Facebook. Not long after the two start dating. And six months later, they were married. Dude. Damn. But... Lindsay loved her, and they all got along. Christine and Curtis were happy. Their Mm -hmm. life was cruising along effortlessly. She adopted the three boys and, like, raised them as her own children. She didn't have any children. And so they were just, like, they were a family again. It was a good match. It was a great match. Everybody loved Christine. Hmm. Even Corey's family loved Christine. That's good. So one day, eight years after Corey's death – a new detective was pulling up old case oh, files boy. when he pulled Curtis's case out. Mm-hmm. He knew him from working at the state at the state's attorney's office, so he was like, I guess, being nosy. That's that's what exactly. I would do. I'm like, oh I was yeah, like, oh, I would yeah. Do that. I gotta I gotta check this out. So <laughs> he looks the case up, reads the report and and the statements from Curtis, the autopsy summary, looks at some of the photos. And he sees the autopsy was classified as undetermined. So there were things that were, I guess, suspicious or, you know, like traumatic findings, like the red mark on her lip and the cut inside her mouth. So he goes through the pictures and he sees the way that her hands are positioned. Mm -hmm. And that raises some red flags for him. He's like, this is not normal. Like this, she's T-Rex arms. That's not, no. Like floating midair. So to him, this proves that she must have died hours before they originally thought. So he goes to his superior and they are like, 
we've not ever seen these photos. So police go back to the pathologist and have her re-examine the case. Wow. But she will not alter her findings. She says no. Well, also, she was warm to the touch. Yeah. Two, three people Mm -hmm. verified that she was. And so the ME is like, no, I'm not changing this. This is what I found. This is what it is. is. They can't do another autopsy because Corey has Mm -hmm. been cremated. So they hire a new pathologist to review the autopsy notes. They also decide to re-interview anyone else that knew the couple back then. And the case is officially opened back up. Lindsay's questioned again. At this point, she's 20 years old and in college. And she tells them the same thing that her dad did. Mom was up that morning. She helped us get ready for our Valentine's Day school parties. They ask her about her parents' relationship. She says things were great. Like, we never heard them fight. Like, everything was fine. So the new pathologist is going over the report. And she said she thinks the death of Corey had to be between 11 to 12 hours before. So basically the night before. She also thinks that something must have been stuck underneath Corey's arms when she died. And that's why her arms are stuck like that. She said the cuts on her mouth suggest suffocation. And she rules this as a homicide. But there's no defensive wounds anywhere. There's no bruising. There's no petechiae. There's nothing showing that this is a homicide. She's basically saying, like, maybe he stuck a pillow over her face, and that's why her arms are like that, is because she was, like, fighting, and he left her like that. And that's why her arms are T-Rexed. Oh, okay. So, was he just given a pass because he was an attorney and a pillar of the community? Guess not, because on August... In August of 2014, Curtis was arrested for the murder of his wife. Wow. He actually, wow. That's literally the only thing they had to arrest him on is what that pathologist That's said. That's so strange to me. Did the, yeah. the or, did the original one give an explanation for the arms? No. Hmm. The explanation makes sense, but to just say, okay, it's a homicide from yeah. that. That's kind yeah. of wild. Yeah. I don't know. He is questioned and he tells them he doesn't remember a lot about that day other than finding her dead. I mean, he was in shock. And this was also back in 2000, whatever. So I don't know, maybe. Trauma can cause you to block some things out. Oh, trust me. I know. I mean, (laughs) my grandfather was killed in a car accident when I was like 13. And it was very traumatic Mm -hmm. for our entire family. But I couldn't tell you 10 things that happened that day. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Other no. than the fact that he died. I mean, granted, I didn't find him. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, it's, so, that's very true. I mean, who knows? So they ask him if he smothered his wife, and he says, no. He's indicted anyways. They question the children. The youngest son says he went to wake his mother up, and she wouldn't wake up. But now he was four at this time. Mm-hmm. So... I'm just pointing this out. The other two boys said, no, she was up. We spoke to her and we talked about X, Y, and Z. Like they remembered having a conversation with her. So at this point, Lindsay is estranged from her family. Oh, gosh. I'm not sure why. I don't want to speculate. So Curtis is arrested and charged with murder and he pleads not guilty. Man. In 2016, his trial begins and he is facing up to 60 years in prison. So the prosecution brings up the fact that he did not call 911 
that he was very blunt about her death to her mother. He did not attempt CPR. The neighbors testified to them fighting. Then they bring up the smothering theory, saying that he smothered her the night before and left her like that until the morning when he removed the pillow because it was evidence and that her arm stuck like that because rigor mortis had set in. I mean, they're strictly speculating. Yeah, That's the thing is they're speculating a lot of this. And I could see, I mean, you hear, well, why didn't he give her CPR? But if you're looking like that, and let's say we don't know if she had her eyes open or closed, but he could probably take a look at her and be kind of realize, right? But my she's thing, not alive. But my thing is, is she's pale and stuff, but she's still warm. Yeah, that's strange to me. I, yeah, I don't know. So Lindsay gets on the stand and she says. She isn't sure that she saw her mother that morning. Oh, no. She was just repeating what she was told and that she doesn't remember a lot about this day. Now, Mm -hmm. she was 12 at the time. Yeah, I mean. So, I think it's important to point that out. She might really not remember. Well, and there were also two days between when the death happened and when they interviewed the children. Two days. So, I could see they could get very easily confused. Yeah. Dad's telling them, you know. Don't you remember mom got up and made mm -hmm. breakfast for you guys? You know, what day was that? I mean, Max Max says all the time, you know, he'll tell me, so-and-so did this yesterday night. That's what he calls it. Like (laughs) Cooper said that to me yesterday night. And I'm like, it's the weekend. You haven't seen Cooper since school on Friday. But you see what I'm saying? He Mm -hmm. gets days mixed up. And I don't... It's hard to go back eight years when you were a child. and Well, and I don't want to discount children when it comes yeah. to trials. But, I mean, hell, adults forget stuff. They and need to be interviewed dates. right away. Exactly. So, I mean, I don't know. So, the picture of the body being in rigor was determined years after. Not mm. that day. Gosh. Yeah. That's, ugh. Yeah. And that doesn't prove that Curtis did anything at all. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, her arms being like that does not, that is not physical evidence tying him to a murder or making that Mm -hmm. a crime scene. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. There's no other evidence besides that cut on her lip. But that doesn't prove suffocation. Yeah, that's... I mean, she could have bit her lip or hit it on something. You know what I mean? Yeah, and they didn't She could have a fever blister that's healing. Yeah, they and they didn't get any um like particles from fabrics nothing. in her nose or anything. No petechiae, like nothing, no defense wounds, no bruising, nothing under her fingernails, nothing. Not a thing. Hmm. I mean, you there were two police officers that did testify that confirmed that her body was still warm to the touch. Mm-hmm. And you can't have rigor with a warm body. Yeah. Like that only happens a few hours. After death, starting with the facial muscles and then Ugh. spreading to the limbs over the next few hours and is usually complete in about six to eight hours, for those of you that were curious about rigor mortis. <laughs> so, the jury was six guilty, six innocent, and this wow. was declared a mistrial. Yeah. Hmm. So, which means, do you know what that means? I had to consult an attorney. Gosh, I did at one point. I don't remember now. So basically, they can release him and then literally walk up to him after he's released and rearrest him and charge him with murder again. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That doesn't prove that you're innocent. It doesn't mean you walk free. They can rearrest you and retry you and charge you again. Right. Isn't it typically normal 
well, not nor I don't know. People drink, want people want more um, maybe evidence, and they're like, okay, well, we'll try to mm-hmm. find something else, and mm-hmm. then arrest them again or that sure. kind of thing. Not yeah. always. It's but, always going to be hanging over you. Yeah. At yeah. any point, mm-hmm. you can be rearrested. Ugh. So they go to trial mm. to clear his name. The exoneration project hears about this case and takes it on pro bono. So they're basically trying to prevent a wrongful conviction, yeah. even though he has not been convicted yet, which is unusual for them. It's usually people who have been convicted and are up for like a retrial. So that's usually their cases. But they heard about this one and were like, you know what, let's try to prevent it. So Curtis bonds out with money that people help raise. And at this point, he had been sitting in jail for two years. Now, this is an attorney who worked for the state's attorney's office and was sitting in jail for two years. Wow. So the trial was moved two hours away. They did a change of venue and began March of 2017. Curtis's second wife, Erica, testifies in this trial. She said that he was an alcoholic and was physically abusive towards her. She also said that he once told her that, quote, she was writhing underneath me. Huh? She said that he brushed it off when she asked him about it. So, like, he just was talking to her and was like, she was writhing underneath me. And she's like, what? And he's like, what? Upon cross-examination, she went down a whole list with the defense of things that he did, like he was poisoning her and a bunch of other stupid shit, which basically made her look crazy. And they set her up to make her look like this. Really? Oh, yeah. They would just keep agging her on like, oh, do you think he did this? Yeah, I definitely did. Oh, Oh, I see. What about this? Do you think he would do this? Oh, I'm sure he would. Mm -hmm. So it made her look crazy and like she just wanted him punished for divorcing her. Okay. I see what you mean. Which made her not a great witness for them. Mm -hmm. And who knows? Maybe, maybe he did do those things. We don't know. Yeah. But it drives me insane that lawyers gaslight people on the stand like this. I don't like that either. But it's the tricks of the trade. You're allowed. Yeah. You're allowed. So the biggest shock of all during the trial, are you ready for this? Mm -hmm. You're going to light your fucking hair on fire. An EMT is called to the stand to testify. And when asked, he says, I moved Corey's arms when I got there. What? To check for her heartbeat and do other life-saving measures before the photos were taken. What? So he was like, oh, no, wait, I did that. Gosh. I moved her arms. Oh. Next, the detectives were brought to the stand and questioned. Oh. My. And he said, I was not aware that this EMT had moved her arms before the photos were taken. And the defense attorney was like, um, oh. sir, these photos were the sole reason mm-hmm. that this case was opened back up. And he was like, uh, yeah. And now we find out. Oh, my Lord. After all these years that this man sat in prison, that her arms are like this because the EMT moved them that way? Are you that fucking I, kidding me? I've been going through my mind. Okay, what what can make her arms like that? What I'm, I was going to Google it after this. Bye I out. cannot. Oh, my Lord. Two years, three years. The whole case was reopened for the arms. For the arms that the EMT said, oh, no, I did that. So seven days of this trial, the jury comes back with a non-guilty verdict after two hours. Eleven years after her death, 
This man could have been convicted oh and spent the rest gosh. of his life in prison or been been charged. I mean, like murder? You had children. And, it's insane. Uh, and the fact that they went back to – I I understand that if something is really weird, you want a different opinion. But it's, it's terrifying to know you even – he had privilege. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He was an attorney. Wow. He wasn't fucking stupid oh, and Lord. was being charged with – yeah. So the family Holy moves crap. out of Quincy and start their own exoneration firm named wow. the Lovelace Center for Criminal Defense. Is it Urbana? Urbana? I don't That's know. where they – anyways. They also moved his practice to Chicago. Okay. So what do you think? Is that detective his arch nemesis now? Oh, my God. I – I would. Somebody would catch hands. Then I, I would. Then I would, would be, be in so jail mad. for oh, real for assault so and battery. Oh my yeah. gosh! That oh all that God. money, all that time that man sat in prison for one EMT to go. Oh no, I did that. What are you talking about? No, I had to do Thank that. Thank God they found that guy. Yeah, he he would have. I don't know. I mean, maybe it, been sentenced. It we don't know the outcome. How many times? Do people not have the best attorneys or the best knowledge? Oh, or a public or defender. A public de- or somebody who, not that we hate yeah, public defenders. No, I know a lot them. of them and you you guys are fantastic and you're doing the yes, Lord's work. Yes, yes, It's just they don't have but necessary. Don't, yeah. Right. Right. No, you're 100% right. But I think maybe she had a seizure. I mean, she was sick and that would explain the injuries yeah. to her mouth. Like maybe she bit her tongue or bit her lip. I don't know. Yeah, that's. I, I mean, just I can't stop thinking about the fact that this man could have went to prison for the rest of his life for the murder of his wife, gosh. all because. I mean, in some Barney Five Cop was How like did you foul, even find foul this? play, foul play. He must have murdered her because her arms look weird. That is what. Oh my gosh! Mm-mm. But it makes you go. How I mean? No, seriously, really. There are so many people. Like all the numbers I read off to you of people who have been exonerated. It's scary. It's terrifying. You're not innocent until proven guilty. You are guilty until, mm-hmm. I mean, and just like the case you covered, what was it last week where the guy had the, the girl had the panties on with their brother's semen? <laughs> oh. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Had that be a different situation, they would have been like, you're a fucking liar. Mm-hmm. You can't lie about DNA. Yeah. And it was found at the scene. Yeah. So, sorry. Things can always mean something else. There's the it's, electric chair. Take gosh, a seat. That's so messed it's up. It's terrifying. Yeah, it is. Ugh. Anyways, let's take a break. Let's. To process this. <laughs> For sure. So we got an email about this case almost a year ago. You'll probably kind of remember it. I wasn't quite probably sure wrong. how to tackle it. And you'll all see why later. So I'm pretty much just going to try to present this in an unbiased manner. It'll make more sense later. In 1997, Connie Wagner was just 19 years old and living in Palatine, Illinois. Friends described her as fun and upbeat. Neighbors said she was nice but had a short temper. I mean, plenty of people have short tempers. I'm not, you know. On June 20th, 1997, Connie's dad, Gary Wagner, went home and found her murdered in their townhouse. Unfortunately, I couldn't find a lot of stuff about Connie. I like to try to do that, but there wasn't a whole lot out there on who she was. Well, he immediately called police and the investigation was underway. So this is a pretty brutal murder. Connie was bound with a telephone cord 
and stabbed over 180 times. So based on the scene, they believe she put up quite a bit of a fight and that there was a significant struggle because blood spatter was on the ceiling, hair was underneath her fingernails, blood was tracked throughout the home, and the tracks went all the way upstairs where bloody fingerprints were on a phone and a notepad in Connie's brother's room. Wait, how many times was she stabbed? 180. Holy shit, and hair under her fingernails? Yeah. So there's, I mean, see, it seems like plenty of evidence is here, you would think. Well, the police were also able to lift fingerprints from the screen door, a newspaper clipping that was located between the couch cushions, and a plastic bag in the bathroom sink. They thought that might have been the assailants because it seemed out of place. Makes sense. Oh, and there was a blanket with a bloody shoe print on it. Mm-mm, I don't like any of this. Yeah. What police immediately found odd was that there was no sign of a forced entry. She lived in a townhouse, so neighbors were really close by, but none of them heard or saw anything. They also didn't remember anyone leaving the home. Connie's car was missing, so whoever did this could have used it as a getaway vehicle. Later that day, the car was found abandoned at those same townhome apartments. The area was checked earlier that day, so it seemed like someone drove it back after the fact. Unless someone just really missed it. But, Mm-mm. yeah. Police spoke to neighbors, friends, and family to learn more about her life and who may have committed this crime. They did learn that Connie was a regular user of marijuana and cocaine. She allegedly got her drugs from a local street gang that was known for its violence. From one article I read, she was allegedly frequently in debt to her dealers and would sometimes need to pawn her belongings to pay these debts. Saying allegedly a lot because I don't want to wrongly accuse her of anything. I'm not shaming her or whatever, but I mean last time I checked, people that smoke pot or do cocaine does not mean right. you should be brutally stabbed and murdered. Who right. gives a shit? Right. I know a lot of people that smoke pot. Yeah. But it's like if also a gang do was cocaine, in- but <laughs> Lacey. No I'm kidding. <laughs> oh God. She's gonna cut this out. Lacey does not do drugs. <laughs> If she did, she would not be hacking in between our breaks. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, I mean um, – No, I see what you're saying. If a street gang was involved and she bought drugs, that's important. It's not no. a good look. Yeah, it's not – It's not anybody I'd want to be. Exactly. Uh, maybe. So, Palatine, and that's how it was pronounced on Google. So, if it's Palatine, I swear, I'll get all the mail for that. But – so, it's a suburb of Chicago. I did a little digging into what that town was like. Fun fact, this is where Vicki Gunvalson from <gasps> The Real Housewives of the OC the is OG? from. The Yes, the OG. I tried to get a hold of her, ask her opinion. Her, I couldn't get past her publicist. Bitches. I know. I know. So currently, the crime grade is that of an A- minus on crimegrade.org. In 2021, it ranked as 14th out of 50 as the safest city in Illinois. That being said, there are gangs there. It's a suburb of Chicago. And I found an article from 2010 about issues with rivaling high school gangs. And I was able to find an article from 1998 about gang-related murders in the city. So around the time of Connie's murder, street gangs were a legitimate concern in the area. I mean, I don't want to... Oh, I know. Well, Mm -hmm. one one gang-related murder in particular in 1998 stood out to me because two men were meeting for a drug deal. They were robbed, tied up with duct tape, beaten tossed into a bathtub, strangled with a rope. And I'll link up the article. But that goes to show you that 
gangs can be very violent. It can look like a crime of passion sometimes. I don't know if it's to torture someone or I don't really know the reasoning behind it. I don't know a lot about gang murders, but it's, I mean, that's a lot of Mm-mm. work to murder someone, you know? It's almost like they're doing it just for the thrill of it. I don't know. No, it sounds like it. Well, Connie also recently went through a breakup. In fact, just a few days before her murder, she broke up with her boyfriend of several months named Joe Stock, who was living in nearby Elk Grove Village. This made investigators suspect him first. He's the ex-boyfriend, of course, Mm -hmm. and they thought it seemed like a crime of passion since she was stabbed so many times. Allegedly, on the evening before her murder, she told Joe she was moving to Texas, and I didn't see an exact timeline of their relationship anywhere. Most articles said several months, so I'm assuming less than a year, maybe not even half a year, but I don't know for sure. So police called Joe in for an interview, like the day of. Despite the bloody scene, Joe did not have a drop of blood on him, his clothes, or his belongings. They even went to his house and got other pairs of shoes to test. He had no scratches on his body. He also gave police an alibi. He said that that morning he'd ridden with his mom and sister to the train station, where they parked and boarded a train together heading downtown. He said that he rode with them for at least 15 minutes before getting off as they continued on about their day. At this point, according to him, He was at least 15 miles from the crime scene and without his car. Police photographed his body and collected the clothes he was wearing the day of the crime. They didn't have any evidence to hold him on, so he was allowed to go home. The DNA results came back. Believe it or not, they did not match Joe Stock. So neither the fingerprints or the hair was traced back to him. The shoe prints didn't match any of his shoes. None of those things. Nothing. Nothing. Not a thing. None of it matched. Hmm. They were stumped. I'm stumped. Until three and a half months later, someone came forward. Alfonso Najera, who was a family friend of Joe's, was brought into the police department to tell them what he knew. He alleged that Joe called him and told him that he murdered Connie because he was angry. He signed the statement, and he also agreed to participate in a recorded phone call with Joe, in which he would try to elicit another confession. Well, the conversation didn't go the way police expected. Here's a portion of it. Joe. I mean, shit, you still believe me, don't you? Alfonso. Yeah, I believe you, dude. I believe you, man. I just want to make sure that you didn't say something to anybody else, and they come to court, and then... Joe. Then what? Alfonso. You didn't tell anybody anything else. You know what I'm saying. Because they come to court, and then I look like, you know, Joe. Tell anybody what? It's a bunch of shit, man. They ain't got nothing. I didn't do nothing. You know that. Alfonso, yeah, I know. Joe, it's a bunch of shit. You know and I know my ass would have been in jail a long time ago if I was guilty. You know what I'm saying? Alfonso, it's just bullshit, man. You know, I got to miss work and shit. Joe, all it comes down to is, you know and I know that I didn't do this. You know and I know that I don't know who did or have any knowledge about the whole damn thing, and they just want to make a bust on somebody to make themselves look good, you know? All they're going to try to do is intimidate you and all that kind of bullshit. Alfonso, hey man, I gotta get back to work, dude. Joe, and look at it that way, it's been over a year, I haven't run, I got nothing to run from. I didn't move, I didn't all of a sudden disappear, you know what I mean? If I was guilty, my ass would have took off, and I'm just sitting here waiting for them to find out what the deal is. Because I want to know who's responsible. Do you think I don't want to know? That's it. Alfonso. 
Well, I have to get back to business, you know. So that's the gist of it. And he didn't get a confession from him. He just kind of, it's weird because Alfonso kept wanting to get off the phone. Yeah. Like, I got to go to work. He's trying to get a confession out of him, but he's like. That doesn't make any sense. And the more he's talking, he's like. You would think he would would want him to keep talking. Keep talking. Yeah. And it's just like, he says, you know, I didn't do this. You, You know, and I know. And then he just kind of agrees with him. Like, yeah, I know. I know. It's very strange that Mm-mm, no. And then they tried to get him to what they tried to wiretap him and do it in person and he refused. So I don't know. It's just kind of strange. It's very strange. So one source did say Alfonso had a prior conviction in a case of lying to authorities, but I couldn't find the details. So some felt like he was someone the police could pressure. Regardless, Alfonso's statement is what police used to arrest Joe. And then he went to trial for Connie's murder. So the state's theory of the case was that Joe was angry with Connie over their breakup, used a copy of her key to enter the house, killed her, changed into her brother's clothes, and drove off in her car. They did find his fingerprints in her car, but not bloody fingerprints or anything. You know, he had been in her car. The physical evidence in the home, the hair, the fingerprints, the footprints did not point to Joe. Prosecutors made the argument that Alfonso made statements that, quote, implied he was talking about the confession, even if he didn't directly say so. They were also allowed to only use certain portions of the transcript. For example, at one point they used the quote from Alfonso, quote, you didn't tell anybody else. But they didn't use Joe's response, tell anybody what? What the f- The jury wouldn't know that he never clarified or anything. So for some reason, the defense was not allowed to bring up Joe's responses. So they use that snippet of the conversation, Mm -hmm. which for a jury, you hear that and you're like, oh, well, yeah. Put two and two together. You can take anything out of context. They should have just had the entire thing, in my opinion. Yeah. One sentence. You didn't tell anybody else? No. Well, Joe Stock was convicted of first degree murder at the age of 27. He was sentenced to 90 years imprisonment and has to serve at least 45 until he's eligible for parole. Oh, my God. So Judge Thomas Fecarada Jr. said he was troubled by how Joe Stock was able to coolly stare at him and the family as they recounted their grief. You tortured that girl, he said. In response, Joe said, quote, As for expressing remorse for a crime I did not commit, I obviously cannot do that. I am innocent, and nothing you can say or do will change that. Connie's family members said they were disappointed that sentencing guidelines could allow Joe Stock to serve half the sentence. But they said they were heartened that he will serve time for the crime. I feel like we can finally start to move forward, said Gary Wagner Jr., the victim's brother. Joe Stock is currently working with the Innocence Project and attorney Kathleen Zellner, whose name you might recognize from Stephen Avery's case. Stephen Avery. Yeah, I tried but couldn't find any information on if they ran that DNA against anyone else or this database or whatever. I hope they did, but I didn't read that anywhere. I feel like this would be a really good case for that show, Reasonable Doubt. I think it's, I don't know if it's on ID or Oxygen, but they look into cases like this and they try to figure out if the person's either truly innocent or maybe something was like really botched or messed up in the trial. I watched watched that show. Mm -hmm. I love that show. I do too, but it gives me so much anxiety. Yeah. But there was one, I can't remember which state or the details of it, but it was a child. I think she was like 13. And 
There was duct tape found at the scene of a murder, mm. and her fingerprints were on the duct tape. And it was like, she w- they arrested her and charged her for murder, this little 13-year-old girl, and it was like a six-foot big dude, and she's still in prison. Or jail wow. or I whatever. Mean, I'm sure I've and it, it, it was like remember. something to do with like maybe they were trying to tie a handyman that worked. She was being raised by her grandparents mm-hmm. for her grandparents that also had access to the duct tape. Mm. So it was like, did she touch the anyways? But it's cases like that, like this, where it's like She's so yeah. It <sighs> I hate these it, it I hate these cases. Well, right. So someone from Joe's team reached out to us. About this case. And I went through their website, freejoestock.com. Oh my gosh, now I remember. Yeah, I was... Now I remember. I was torn on covering this case just because the family does believe he's guilty. Right. And And you don't want to be disrespectful. I don't want to be disrespectful. And at the end of the day, Connie's dead. She's no longer with us. She was brutally murdered. I don't want anything to be taken away from Connie. She was 19 years old. I just... I wanted to tread lightly. I don't just want to be on here saying, oh, he's, of course it was a gang and this and that. I don't know. We don't know. I don't know, but it just seems like if the DNA didn't match and this guy couldn't get a confession on recorded, like- What do you have? All they have is him saying, oh yeah, well, he told me. That's it. And it scares me knowing someone's behind bars, regardless of if they're guilty or not. Feelings aside, it scares me that someone can be behind bars based on someone said something. That's it. That's terrifying. It really That's is. That's messed up. That should it not really be that is. way. I'm just, and I wasn't in the trial. I don't know what the jury saw, but ugh, Mm-mm. I don't know. But so they have a website called freejoestock.com and it has a lot of information. But I, of course, found the uh, actual case documents and case notes to cross-reference things, you know, just to check out. But he has a big team behind him that believes is he's innocent. So there's – I have questions like did they run the DNA against other people, the database? Right. That's There's too many questions. And how does none of that DNA match him? How did the shoe prints not even match? But he's still in prison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's nauseating. Yeah. Nauseating. And our source said that Joe is willing to correspond if we have any questions – at this point, I just wanted to get the case out there, pick your brain, pick our listeners' brain, see what y'all thought about it. Like I said, it's a fit for that show, Reasonable Doubt. I'm probably going to sure. submit it after this because I can't help him. I don't know. Again, I don't know if he needs help. I don't know. But again, taking emotion out of it, is this enough to convict someone for 90 years? No. At the end of the day. No, it's not. Feelings aside, that's- It's not. That's ugh, it's messed up. You don't just need a body- Sitting in in prison, exactly. It needs you to need be the to right be the person. right. Yeah. So I just stuff <sighs> like this just really. Oh, this week I know these cases. These cases are are rough. Well, we have good news because we have a couple of new patrons. Okay, Carly. Hi, Carly. Hi, Carly. Thank, Thank you. you, Carly. I sent you an email, and if you want some stickers, give us your address. You don't have to, but. So I don't know what state she's from, but thank you, Carly. <laughs> Thanks, Carly. And we have Christella L. from Texas. Oh, that's fun. Yes. Christella. I like that name. I too. I know. Thank you, Christella. Thanks for joining our weird and wonderful Patreon family. We're currently 
our theme for May is cruise crime. Yes. Summer vacations. Vacations. They're coming up. People are going to be doing some cruises. So we thought we would ruin it for you. <laughs> that's you're what not, I thought. I'm you're, like, not es- you're not escaping murder just because you're on a ship. Just saying. Yeah. No, that's It's true. everywhere. Murder never sleeps. I think it'd be a murder mystery cruise would be really freaky. No, I don't want to be, first of all. No, like a. I don't want to be on a cruise, period. I know. I'm like, I'm never going to get her on a cruise after we do this episode. No. That's exactly what I thought. I feel like I would have anxiety. Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. Everything gives me anxiety. Oh, remember I was talking about that key lime martini that I had at Charlie's a few weeks ago? Well, guess what? What? They have an official drink menu now. What like is, is it on there? With the cocktails. Yes, it's on it. What's, That's what made what me think is of it? it. What is it? Give it to us. Well, gosh, I didn't take a picture of it, but they put all their secrets on there. <sighs> oh, boy. You'll have to go and grab one yourself. But No, I, I'm not drinking that shit. I know you're not. You're just going to get the <laughs> same old, same old. I want to try all the drinks on the I list except for the whiskey and bourbon one. Too old for that. I'll throw up. I can't throw up. The last time I was there, I got the Raj Arnold Palmer. Oh, well. His own spin on the Arnold Palmer. But I, I got unsweet those. tea and mm-hmm. lemonade. Lemonade. And it writes on there lots of vodka, and it was. It was. They are heavy-handed, and we are not mad about it. Oh, so go check out Charlie's in the River Market. Grab a cocktail. See what you think of the key lime pie martini. In the meantime, what's new with you? Nothing. Mother's Day's coming up. It is. This will come out after Mother's yes. Day. So we hope you guys all had a good Mother's Day. Dog moms, cat moms, bird mom, fish it's mom, okay. human mom. You're you still can, a mom. You can have this one. Have you it. Can have this one. Have have. You're all moms. <laughs> you're a you're a dog mom. Oh. You do a lot for your pets. Yeah. Well, us people without children, children tend to go overboard sometimes. Hey, you know what? You're still a mom to something. Well, I hope you have a good weekend too. Are you? You're going out of town. You're not going out possibly. Of town. This comes out after. They can't find you now. No, I don't care. Please find (laughs) me. Find me now. (laughs) Oh, you sent me a message about a scary movie that's coming out in June of this year. No, no, no. It came out last year. Are you kidding me? No, which is why I texted Lacey at 1030 last night. I was staying up with toothpicks in my eyeballs trying to stay awake to watch the Grizzlies game. Oh, my gosh. Yay, they won. Sporty Spice. P.S. They won. Woohoo! Oh, my gosh. Uh, no, it came out. I think it came out last year. Let me read. Let me find this text message. Yeah, find the text you. so we can tell y'all about it. Um, if you've seen this movie, let us know. Let us know if it's worth watching or not. It is called what the hell? Where is it? Ethan Hawke's in it. I he know is that in much. it. We have the same birthday. He and I, different years, of course. What did I message you on? Wasn't oh, it? yeah, here it is. Um, it's called Black Phone, maybe? Black Phone. Look it up on your computer. You have it out. Beep, boop, bop. Yeah. Lacey says, it might scare me. Meaning like, there's not a lot of scary movies. Yeah, it's called The Black Phone. It's like, I want to watch this. We should watch this. She's like, it might scare me. And the Ethan Hawke is called The Grabber, and that's terrifying. Oh, that sounds like... <sighs> mm. Yeah, you're right. It came out in 2021. But I know. It's called, the cover of it looks... Cover of it looks super freaky. So Max's dad came over last night to see Max because he's been out of town. And he says, I saw this movie that made me think like the preview or something. And I was like, what is it? And he told me. And I was like, what are you talking? How did I even know? see that? I don't know. I've he never would, heard of this. Probably some debaucherous place. <laughs> 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 it's like, so 
it looks terrifying. Yeah, the overview. If y'all have seen it, please let us yeah, know. Yeah, let us know if it's worth watching. We gotta, I'm going to watch it. It, it says a shy but clever 13-year-old boy is being held in a soundproof basement by a sadistic mass killer, which freaks me out that it's okay, a freaking- Okay, now, never mind. I can't watch it because I, I can't watch a kid thing. That's freaky, though. I'm like, oh, God. Well, so when a disconnected phone on the wall starts to ring, he soon discovers that he can hear the voices of the murderer's previous victims. Oh, And they're trying to God. help him. Isn't that – that's why I said, I'm like, this might scare me. It's like – it sounds like if the room was even worse than it already was. Mm, you know, curiosity is going to get me. Gosh. Let me tell you what other movie I tried to watch and had to turn it off. What? And it was fucking awful. And if you love this movie, boy, fight me in the comments. Oh, boy. It was like – it's the prequel to – it's a Stephen King movie. That the one in the, the Shining. It's a prequel, maybe, to The Shining? Doctor. Doctor something. Did you see with it? Ju- with not Jude. Uh, what's his name? Yeah. Ewan, Mac- Ewan, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor. Yeah. I didn't like it either. I turned that shit off. I did too. When they he- held that child down yeah. that was walking home from a baseball game, stabbed him in the leg. Mm. So what were they saying? Something about the the fear... We get the fear, we make them panic, and then we feed off the fear of children. I'm like, that's enough. I didn't like it either. Don't love this. Hate this so much. Turning it off. I didn't watch. Yeah, I turned it off. I can't. Cannot. That's not entertainment to me. That's disgusting. And that says a lot coming from somebody who loves a good demon. (laughs) What? It's re- it's too realistic. I can't. I, I think that's what. Well, even when I was watching the newer it, mm, I think mm-mm. recently, where the kid just mm-mm. brutally mm-mm. attacks that other kid. No, that, for some reason, can't do a kid on kid. You'll never hear that here, folks. We're not doing kid on kid stuff. I hate that. I'm like, oh my god. No. Like, and then he like stab another kid or something. I'm can't like, can't do it. What is this? Don't crazy love it. Kids, where are their pa- I'm I'm yelling. Where are their parents? Where are these? Uh, I was. No. I don't like that. Mm-mm. I don't know. Not that I love any crimes or any murders. I don't touch that stuff. It makes me nauseated. I hate it. Can't stand it. Don't want to watch a movie about it. Even though I'm curious about this one. I, I mean, if if I turn it on and I watch it and it's like, mm-hmm. it's too much, I'm out. I can't. Yeah. Well, Thanks for coming to our TED Talk. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. And where are we next week? I don't even remember. We are in um, Florida. Oh, oh boy. There's a lot of cases in Florida. There is Gosh. a lot going on in Florida as always. All right. Well, we'll be back next week. We'll be back in Florida. Bye. Bye.